Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. I teach at Nebraska Christian College. Uh, what that means for me is that twice a week, twice a week we have chapel. Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, that means that there's two opportunities for me to walk into a service, sing worship songs, give my praise, give my adoration, worship. Twice a week. I have two opportunities every week to, to walk into a service and give my worship to God. But sometimes I get busy. You ever, you ever get busy? I mean the kind of busy, like I got work to do, you know? I mean, like I, I'm trying to work on this paper and this project, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to get uh, uh, some sermon ready or something. I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to organize students and get ready for class and there are times where I just think, oh man, I don't know that I have time. I don't know that I have time to go to chapel this week. I don't know that I really feel like going to worship. I have work to do. Now, I know that I should. I know that I should want to go to worship. I know that I, I should, as a professor with other students watching me, that I should go to chapel. So the other day, I'm there and I'm thinking of all the work that I have to do. It's, it's piling up on my desk. And I'm thinking, how can I go to chapel? How can I give chapel the very least amount possible, and still get my work done. And I actually came up with a plan. This is a confession from your preacher, okay? I came up with a plan. I, I, I thought, I'm going to go, I'm going to sit all the way in the back. I'll, I'll just prop open my iPad, and, and maybe I'll start typing for my work, while I'm sitting in the back of the worship service, and, and hopefully all the students will think, he must be really taking some serious sermon notes. Maybe he is taking notes, he is devoting himself to the study of God's Word, and he is, he's really into it. I mean, I came up with this entire plan, and, and honestly, I even walked into chapel thinking that that was going to work. And then I was really reminded that God is not pleased with lip service kind of worship. Uh, that, that God isn't really excited just because I walked into the building. Uh, that, that God doesn't uh, overwhelmingly rejoice uh, when His people walk into a worship service with a good enough kind of attitude that God isn't overly excited or overwhelmed 
when mediocrity comes to worship. This morning, we're going to talk about some tough love from the Lord. Uh, we're going to talk about this passage of Scripture where, where the nation of Israel, uh, they haven't heard from God in a while, and so uh, what has become of their worship? Well, what's become of their worship is it, is it, it, is a, it has become a practice of mediocrity. It has become one of these things where they have begun to give God these token expressions, um, thinking that that's just good enough. Where they've given lip service to God. And so this morning, I, I just want to walk through this passage in Malachi with you, uh, and I want to ask uh, three questions. Uh, three questions about how we come to worship. Uh, number one, what is expected? What is it that God expects? What is it that He requires uh, for those of us who would desire to come to worship? What is God's expectation of us? Uh, once we figure that out, I just want to ask, well, who is it that's going to help us get there? Who's going to help us toe the line of what it means to worship God in an authentic way? Uh, to worship God genuinely. Who's going to help us get there? And then lastly, I just want to answer the question why. Why is that so important? Uh, why is it important that when we come into a worship service uh, that we give God our full attention? Why is it important that uh, we would give Him authenticity in our worship. So if you will, join me in Malachi. Join me in Malachi if you prefer the Hebrew pronunciation, Maliki. But whatever it is, you're going to be in the very last prophet before Matthew. And if you're in your pew Bibles in front of you, you can reach out and grab one of those. And it's going to be page 669. 669. When worshipers come giving lip service to God, uh, when mediocrity seeps into the worship service, uh, when, when token offerings are being made, uh, when people are only just present, uh, when there's just an attitude of, well, this is probably good enough, God isn't impressed. In fact, what God expects is authentic worship. What God anticipates is holistic adoration. Look with me in the text, verse 6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. Uh, by the way, after this first sentence, everybody in all of Israel is going, uh-huh, yeah, absolutely, yes, yes. I love how God works. He gets them nodding in this direction. Yes. 
And then he kind of pulls the rug out from underneath him. Watch what he does. A son honors his father and a slave his master. Okay. If, a, if I am a father, then where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who have shown contempt for my name. But you ask... How have we shown contempt for your name? Uh, By offering defiled food on an altar. And you ask, uh, well, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. Uh, When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Uh, Try offering that to your governor. See how that goes for you. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Skip down to verse 10. Oh, that not one of you would shut the doors of the temple so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord. I will accept no offering from your hand. My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets, in every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. But you profane it. The Lord's table is defiled, its food is contemptible, and you say, what a burden. You sniff contemptuously at it, says the Lord. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations." Uh, You see, for Israel, for the nation of Israel, there was this entire sacrificial system. And sometimes uh, you would maybe bring a grain offering, or maybe maybe you would bring a, a lamb offering or a small goat or something. And that was great. That was part of what it meant in that time period with those people to bring acceptable, authentic worship to God. I will take this and I will give it to God. But there were a couple of rules. There were a couple of expectations that followed uh, that kind of worship system. And really it came down to two things. When you were to go and offer something, whether it was grain offering or some kind of an animal sacrifice, it had to be the first and it had to be the best. And the problem, as you can see here throughout the text, is it was neither the first, nor was it the best. I mean, in fact, this idea of of offering something that is defiled is like going through your refrigerator, finding that piece of moldy bread or cheese, uh, slicing off the mold and saying, this is good enough for God. It's as if uh, someone said, hey, we're going to have a toy drive uh, so that we can help some orphans. And you go through your pile of kids' toys to find all the broken ones so that you can give it. 
and then expecting that the Lord is happy. Now, I wrestled all week with this. I recognize, I mean, it's easy enough. It's right there in the text. They were doing some things with their, their worship and their, their, uh, they're giving tokens to the Lord, aren't they? Uh, they're giving that which is defiled, which they shouldn't give, and they know they shouldn't give, but they hadn't heard from the Lord in a while, and they, uh, they just said, well, this is good enough, isn't it? But would you offer sour milk to your boss? Some of you are shaking your head. That's bad. It's, it's not good, okay? You're supposed to, it's a rhetorical question. You're, you're supposed to say, no, I wouldn't. Of course not. Would you offer up the very worst and accept, expect someone else to be pleased? I mean, I wrestled. What does this look like for us in our time and in our kind of worship? I began to think of the church calendar uh, last Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. Now, maybe you're familiar with Lent, maybe you're not. Uh, uh, Traditionally, over the church calendar, Ash Wednesday begins this 40-day period, uh, roughly uh, before Easter. And, and many people in the Christian calendar, they will, uh, they will decide uh, as part of this 40-day period that they will sacrifice something. Uh, maybe something that, that it means a whole lot to them. Something that means a great deal, that they will give it up uh, as part of this 40-day period. And the idea is really not a bad one. Hey, I'm going to reflect on, on the sacrifice that was made for me, and I'm going to try and sacrifice something, uh, maybe a, a part of my ongoing devotion as a follower of Jesus. Uh, but oftentimes in this period, I've had, I've had conversations with people, and perhaps you have too, about this 40-day period that we call Lent. And they've said, well, what are you giving up? And, and maybe I'll say something, or maybe I've not decided to, to practice Lent that particular year. And they'll, I'll say, well, what are you giving up? And they'll say something like, well, I'm going to give up ketchup. Okay. But the last conversation that you and I had together, I remember distinctly you saying that you hated ketchup. So have you really given up anything? Have, have you really honored this this this? This practice of, of trying to honor the Lord and reflect on the sacrifice that He's given you, have you really done that? I mean, it's like someone saying for Lent, I'll, I'll try and give up ice cream. Yeah, but you're lactose intolerant. You can't have ice cream anyway. I wonder if, if for us, our defiled lambs, sometimes is our church attendance. Oh, I... I know, this is tough love. Just look at the title to the sermon, right? I mean, uh, Malachi is, is coming in and he is challenging our lip service kind of worship. And sometimes I just wonder if we think by just simply attending a place at a certain time on a Sunday morning that God somehow is super pleased. That it's good enough just to walk into the building and sit in a pew and, and listen to some songs. I wonder, 
I wonder if this is a piece of a defiled worship that we try and give to God like, well, God, I showed up. Isn't that good enough? And it seems to be that God is expecting something more from us, doesn't it, of our worship? Uh, That the expectation is authenticity and adoration. And and if we just come and we show up, uh, we haven't given him either one of those things. We haven't given him our first and we haven't given him our best. That perhaps what the Lord would have of us is not just to show up with our body, but to show up with our life. That perhaps what it means to be someone who is authentic in their worship and giving holistic adoration to God is not just simply to occupy a space uh, for an hour on Sunday morning or to say a few songs or to listen to a bad sermon. But it is to hand over every piece of my life, uh, both in this place and out of this place. And that God expects everything. And I wonder if we can just begin as a, as a fellowship of people, a community who is gathering around, uh, we can say, I am never going to enter this place again without my heart and my mind ready, not just to give my voice, not just to give my body and presence, but to give my life. There was a a guy in a a service many years ago. I've been doing this now almost 20 years. And uh, uh, there was a guy in a service. It always seemed to bother me. He would come in uh, after the songs had been sung in a service. He would sit down long enough to receive the Lord's Supper, long enough to, to take the elements of communion. And then shortly after, uh, shortly after the offering, uh, as the trays were being passed, you would see him get up and walk out the door. And I, and I wonder if some of our hearts do that. And if God is not challenging us through his word this morning to offer something of greater authenticity and adoration than that. Did you see what God said about that sort of worship? Uh, Look with me in verse 10. He's going to say it's not acceptable. Uh, He's going to say it doesn't please me. He says, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless, useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord. And I will accept no offering from your hands. You see, it is possible that if we do not raise our game to the expectations that Jesus has, that God has of our worship to him, uh, that perhaps we would get to the point after we've done that long enough uh, that, that he would no longer accept what we have to give. Because it's a token. Because it's seeped in mediocrity. And so maybe, 
Maybe this morning we have an opportunity to raise our game, to raise our eyesight to something of a higher level of expectation. Now, that all sounds pretty harsh. So who's going to help us get there? Uh, who is it that's going to help us uh, meet these level of expectations? Who's going to uh, walk that path for us to show us uh, what this really looks like? And God says, uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's your leaders. It's those people who, who walk in front of you uh, who ought to be giving you some level of instruction. You ought to be able to look at their lives and recognize uh, what it looks like to live with an authentic worship. Go over to chapter 2, verse 5. Go over to chapter 2, verse 5. God is reminding, God is reminding of the covenant that he had made with Levi, and he is, he is looking at Levi's example, and he's going to say, hey, look back and recognize your heritage. Verse 5, my covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. This, this called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. Who is it that's going to help us figure out uh, how to live uh, toward the expectation of worship that God has for us? Well, you're looking at one. God says it's your leaders. It's a top-down sort of reality here. So I need to talk... I need to talk to the leaders for a minute. Now, don't anybody tune out. I promise to get to you. But I want to talk to the leaders in this room. Oh, all of you are leaders. Again, I'm going to get to you, but I want to talk to the elders. I want to talk to the staff members. Gang, it's, it's our job. Uh, part of the reason that Israel had lost their way in regards to worship uh, was because the priests were letting it happen. They had stopped towing the line. They, they had stopped saying, no, that's not okay. So leaders, elders, staff members... we got to come alongside of people. Uh, we got to walk in a way that says we're not just going to be attenders, we're going to be participants. You see, our lifestyle, our lifestyle and our integrity ought to be a way in which other people can look and say, I recognize what it means to be in worship, authentic worship. That I would never come and sing a song or preach a sermon. That I would never serve in such a way that says, well, I'm just here and hopefully this is just good enough. There ought to be a fervor about our life uh, that says to all of those who are part of our flock, a part of this church, a part of this community that says, hey, uh, you walk the way I walk and everything's going to be okay. 
And we can figure out what it means together uh, to live toward the expectation that Jesus has of our worship. Oh, and by the way, now this is for the rest of you. If you're a Sunday school teacher or committee leader or a small group leader, if you're a member of Whiting Christian Church, guess what? Uh, God is asking you to have a very similar sort of expectation. He expects that your integrity and your lifestyle would be such that, that everyone would recognize what it means to worship God. You see, living with God is tough sometimes. But living with God does come with expectations. And Malachi, oh, he, he lets us know in no uncertain terms uh, that there are high expectations and we're all being called to it. You see, Scripture elsewhere says that for all of those who are followers of Jesus, we are a priesthood of believers. It means all of us are leaders. And we need to answer the call to the high expectation that God has. So leaders, elders, staff members, committee members, members of Whiting Christian Church, you have an expectation on your life that you would live toward a high level of worship before God. Give your best and give your first. Why? Why in the world? Why should we do this? Why should we discomfort our lives? Why should we become uncomfortable uh, so, that, uh, so that I might actually uh, live to the level of expectation that God has for worship? Why? Well, can I remember you, uh, remind you uh, about what we talked a little bit about last week? Uh, that all of this tough love is really grounded on who God is and all that he has done. It's, it's grounded in his character and his attributes. It's grounded in who he is. It's grounded in his name. So why? Why should you uh, try and rise to the level of expectation that God has for you uh, when you come to worship him? Because he is God and because he loves you. Look with me throughout this passage. We find that God consistently says it's because of my name. It's because of my name. Look at my name. My name is going to be great. And if you miss it, I'm going to make sure that you understand that my name is going to be great among all the nations. Uh, no matter where you are in the world, from the rising to the setting sun, from the east to the west, my name is going to be great. Uh, people are going to understand my character and my attributes. Why should you do this? Because it's who God is and it's all that he has done. Notice uh, what he says in the very end of verse 6, and then we'll, we'll just track right down through. Notice the times that he mentions God's name. He says, it is you, priests, who show contempt for my name. He says, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? Verse 11, oh, that one of you would shut the doors uh, so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. He says, I'm not pleased, says the Lord, and I will accept no offering. But in verse 11, he says, my name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets, in every place incense and pure offering will be brought. My name will be great among the nations. Why is this important? 
Because we're talking about God, that's why. The one who created everything, the one who sustains everything, the one who who sent a son so that he might die, that we might be saved, that we might be redeemed, that we could come and be free uh, from the slavery over sin. Why should we offer absolute expectation? Because it's God and he loves me. And what we say when we're willing to try and come uh, to a, a times of worship in our life and meet the expectation level that God has for us is what we're saying to God. What we are saying to God, I value you. And I value this relationship that I have with you. You see, the offerings that we're willing to make are directly attributed to the value that we place in the relationship we have with God. And so if we're coming in this relationship with God and going, isn't my attendance good enough? Isn't just taking communion good enough? Isn't just doing some things in a church building good enough? And what we're saying is, God, I don't really value you all that much. And we have an opportunity to change the script. We have an opportunity to say, no, 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 no. That's not what I want. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone? When you want to show them value, you will give ups lots of things for them because you value the nature of the relationship. You'll give up all sorts of things Husbands, wives, Uh, have you ever been in a conversation with your your spouse and they're talking to you and you're nodding your head, but you're really thinking about something else? I've done this once. (laughs) Jolan's talking to me and, and I'm listening, sort of. How how does she feel? How does she feel when when what she knows is going on in my head is, would you please just stop talking because I have other things to do, you know. How does she feel? She walks away from that conversation thinking, oh man, my husband, he, he values me deeply. No. No, no, she doesn't. She walks away from the conversation thinking, I'm not sure he values time with me. And yet sometimes, sometimes, what we say in our worship is the very same thing to God. God, I'm not sure I really value this relationship that we have. So what do we do about it? Uh, Where do we go from here? I I want there to be a bit of grace in all of this because God is a loving, gracious God, a slow to anger and abounding in love. So what do we do? Well, can I suggest to you that I think we have to create space so that 
our practices of worship are undivided. Oh, I, I know, I know that uh, we all have things going on on Sunday morning and, and we, we begin to kind of fill up uh, everything around these hours and it kind of begins to press in. Um, uh, can I encourage you uh, that perhaps one of the things that, that we begin to do as a simple practice on Sunday morning is just simply say, you know what, this is, this is God's time. I'm going to absolutely value this time. I'm not going to let anything encroach in on it. And maybe the kids got a game uh, later on Saturday afternoon, but they're going to come in their uniform all ready to go because I know that's going to create space, space enough so that, that when we're done here and when we can fully give ourselves to the Lord, uh, that we can go and do something else. Maybe it means that, uh, that what you do, instead of staying up really, really late, because I know I've seen some of you, I know that you love to stay up late Saturday night. And, and, and you come in and, and you're just kind of here. And you sit and... Maybe you hear and maybe you're on your phone, but maybe, maybe what it is that you begin to do in just a really small, simple way is, is you say, you know what, I value this relationship that I have with the Lord so much that, that I would actually begin, maybe I would go to bed early on Saturday, 10, 11, I don't know what it is. Uh, but I would, I would set a timetable so that Saturday night I go to bed in such a time that I'm actually energized and ready. My mind, my heart, uh, my soul, all of me is really ready to enter into uh, this time. And I can give myself in the songs and the preaching. And uh, maybe, it is, maybe it is that in order to really meet those kind of expectations that the Lord would have, uh, that you have to do something with yourself. Now, that you don't just come and sit and sing and listen, uh, but what, the, what you do is you, you engage, that you participate, that you're a servant, that maybe, maybe you come up and you're, you're doing something here on stage, or maybe, maybe you're doing something during the week as part of your service, uh, that you expand your horizons on what worship is, uh, that worship isn't just here, something that happens for an hour on Sunday morning, uh, but it's something that happens 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and 366 days a year on leap year. And that you begin to expand your horizons. Maybe you go to work and you go up and you get up and you go to work and you think, I am going to worship today. And you, you give God your first. And you give God your best. Gang, we don't do this alone. God is with us in it. Uh, he doesn't do this so that we'll go home hanging our heads going, I'm a terrible human being. But he does do it uh, so that we would know there does come a time uh, when he expects great things from us. So rather than just throwing it in the bank and saying, well, everybody's human, I guess I'll make a mistake. Uh, rather than presuming ourselves upon God's grace, uh, we begin to say, you know what? No, no. Today. Today I'm going to be the best worshiper Tomorrow, I'm going to be the best worshiper I could possibly be. There's no more token 
offerings for me to God. There's no more lip service for me to God. There's no just simply attending with me to God. No, I'm going to give God my best, and I'm going to give God my first. Pray with me, would you? Lord God, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. And, and Lord, this is a tough message. This is tough love. And, and I heard it this week. I heard you prompting me and convicting me and challenging me. So Lord, I, I pray that we will not leave unchanged and unchallenged. That tomorrow when we get up, we'll go to worship and we'll give you our best and our first. That when we gather again, we will do nothing else but give you our best and our first. Lord, I pray whatever it is that you will prompt us just to, just to value you. And Lord, through that value, your name would be great. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.